So hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am your host, John Robb. Unfortunately, my co-host, Jeff Ayers, cannot make it. He's doing a lot of stuff with the ITW right now, so you should really check that out about what's going on because they got some cool stuff coming up, uh, so make sure you stay in touch with that. want to remind you that all of our shows are brought to you by Suspense Magazine, so please make sure you visit suspensemagazine.com for more information. And don't forget, November 17th is our anthology, Nothing Good Happens After Midnight with Jeffrey Deaver, Linwood Barkley, Heather Graham, John Lasquave, Reese uh, Reese Bowen, Hank Philippi Riney, and so many others. So make sure you check that out. Again, November 17th, Nothing Good Happens After Midnight, available uh, hardcover, paperback, audio, Kindle, however you want, you can get it. We've got a very exciting show for you tonight, something a little off the beaten path, something different. We're not going to be talking with any authors tonight. In fact, we're going to be talking about one of the most famous authors, of course, in our genre. I mean, the Edgar Award is named after him, Mystery Writers of America, huge. Uh, it's going to be about the Edgar Allan Poe Radio Theater. And joining us is going to be Alex, Z- I, just, I, I said it in my head 17 freaking times, <laughs> and I still is going to screw it up. Alex Zavatovich, I believe. <laughs> Alex, thanks so much for coming on. How you doing? Thanks, John. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. Thanks. I'm telling you, I told you off the air, I, and everybody knows, I am the absolute worst with last names. And the other thing I stink at, and good thing so many people did too, I would have never found one person on a milk carton. And technically right. speaking, only one person on a milk carton was ever found. So there must have been yeah. a lot of me in the world. So how are you doing tonight, Alex? I'm doing well. Yeah, doing well. We're just uh, I'm going to go into the studio. Well, not in the studio, but we're going to be working on the next episode of Poe Theater on the Air tomorrow. So that's uh, trying to get a little bit of sleep, uh, be fresh for the work tomorrow. I bet. So what is Poe Theater? It is a monthly adaptation of the works of Edgar Allan Poe um, done uh, as an anthology, so every episode is uh, its own story, and it's streaming on um, the National Public Radio affiliate in Baltimore, where I'm based, as well as National Public Radio in general, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Stitcher, all the all the usual suspects. It runs about uh, 25 minutes per episode, and mm-hmm. uh, use a lot of uh theatrical voices and sound effects and really rich musical underscore now what got you involved in wanting to do something like this uh you're a huge are you a huge poe fan i was i'm a huge fan of um horror in general before i did uh this project i worked uh with a i started a company called molotov theater group which uh dealt with a kind of an arcane almost forgotten uh, form of French theater. It's called the Théâtre de Grand Guignol. Um, some, of your, uh, uh, some of your fans might know about it, um, that, that genre that is. And this just sort of spun out of that. Um, I moved to Baltimore. I was still interested in, in uh, horror, and I thought, well, you know, I mean, we are where Poe's body is buried. It seems like a natural extension. So, you know, the thought originally was to have a, a performance venue, which is still kind of the grand scheme but uh, radio drama just seemed to be uh, a, a good fit for the kind of work that Poe wrote. And we had a great relationship with the uh, National Public Radio Station, so it all kind of came together uh, very sort of serendipitously. And now we've been doing about, I guess we're about ready to drop our 17th episode. Yeah. Nice. Well, yeah. now how many stories did Poe write 
Oh God! I mean, I'm great... not familiar with all of his work. Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. I mean, he wrote of uh, oh, you know, I, I I should have that num- number off. It's got to be almost hundred, but... right? Like short well, stories. Well, yeah, I mean, in, in that you know, keep in mind that he not only wrote short stories but poems. Uh, mm-hmm. He wrote one. He wrote a book. He wrote a play, which got performed like maybe once. Um, and then he did a lot of uh, theory and criticism of, of work. He wrote a, a, a metaphysical, sort of philosophical book called Eureka. So when you take all of that material together, yeah, it's well over 100 pieces for sure. Um, just depends on how you're kind of – what counts as you're, right. as you're tallying up the number, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Now, and you're pulling, and you're pulling from a list of like how many stories? Like, what's your pool of stories that you're pulling from? I mean, it's got to be way up. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, right. We kind of decided when we were doing the first season, which is going to end in the next few episodes, that we weren't going to go more than like uh, twenty episodes for the first season. Um, but we were pulling from you know the the tales in the stream imagination, sort of his his. Uh, Greatest hits, right? So the, mm-hmm. we knew we had to do the Telltale Heart, the Black yeah. Cat. We had, you know, um, Premature Burial, uh, Berenice, Morella, you know, all the ones that people either know of or have heard of. And so we, so we realized that we wanted to kind of come out of the gate hard with some of these stories yeah. that, that people, even casual listeners, would appreciate. And then as we got closer toward the end of this this current season, we started playing around with adaptations of some of his poems. So we did uh, a, a version of The Raven, which is not a recitation of the poem. It's, it's you know, it's kind of an action-per-action action retelling of the poem. And then a little, uh, a couple of episodes after that, we did this uh, a dramatic adaptation of a poem of his called El Dorado, which mm-hmm. we sort of take, we, we placed it in like gold rush era um, California. So, so yeah, so we're, we were working at first with the stories. Now we're doing some poems and in the next season, we're actually going to serialize um, three of his, uh, you probably know of the character Auguste Dupin. It was kind of his version of Sherlock Holmes, predated Sherlock Holmes. So these mystery stories and, and more suspense than straight horror. So we're going to tell those across the next season episodically. So you get the whole gist of the story across maybe seven episodes. That's cool. Now, do you guys, um, now, are you, do you guys go into any part of his life or anything, or is it really just the stories? Do you gonna, are you going to talk about Poe and, and the mystery really maybe around his death? And how he even right. ended up in Baltimore on that bench. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I mean, the, the, the opportunities are wide open for what we're going to do, because one of the things that we're – I'm a member of the board of directors of the Poe House and Museum in Baltimore. And so okay. we're working – yeah, thank you. And, and so we are uh, talking with them all the time about ways to bring what we do more in line with what they do, which is more of a chronicling of the life of Poe. Um, so that that is something that, that is kind of down the road. But I've always been fascinated with the story of his death. And I there are a lot of different theories, right? And you, I'm, you probably yeah, know as many as I do. Well, the one that makes the most sense to me is, is the one – have you heard of what they, they called cooping? Do you know what that is? That yes, sort of I have like, heard cooping, yeah. yeah. Right, so voter fraud, very early voter fraud, and what's interesting about that is somehow I don't 
don't even remember how I did this, but I stumbled across a copy of the Baltimore Sun from about uh, 50 years ago or so, eight, maybe 60 years ago, um, where they kind of delved into this name Reynolds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they had they had. Uh, a copy themselves in the Baltimore Sun archives of the newspaper. They came out the same weekend that Poe died in October of 1849. And interestingly, uh, in the fourth ward where he was found dead in front of Gunner's Hall in other person's clothing and just completely out of it, out of his head, uh, the, the auditor of that poll was a guy named Henry Reynolds. So, and you can get, if you find the, you know, pay, I have a copy of it electronically, page one uh, of the, the, the newspaper of that time, Henry Reynolds. So, man, my theory is the, it was a political thing. The fix was in. This guy was in on it. Got Poe drunk. Didn't probably didn't even realize it. Didn't really have to get him that drunk, did he? Yeah, (laughs) just buy him free beer. You go, just buy him free drinks. You go take him. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I mean, he had a lifelong problem with it. Now, I actually alcoholism, and and he could not handle his liquor. But I think it was just sort of a fluke that they ran into him, and you know, so all the yelling about Reynolds, I think, was literally he was talking about this guy Henry Reynolds, who was who was you know, watching the polls in the very place that he was left to die, you know. So anyway, that's my big theory. Yeah. Um, well, BuzzFeed, conspiracy theory. BuzzFeed has like a little supernatural and they have like, they have, they, it's, it's, it's two guys and they kind of do it. And I've seen it on Hulu and they covered, you know, Edgar Allan Poe, like the mystery behind. And that was one of the theories that came up was yeah. it was a political thing and, and this and that. And, and it really is quite fascinating, and his work is quite fascinating. I mean, the show The Following pretty much was based off <laughs> of his work and a cult, and a cult following going right. with his work and, like, making it real. So, I, I mean, he's been – John Cusack made a movie. Um, sure I did. forget the name, yep. and that was a good movie. You know, so called, I think it was called The Raven, I'm not, if I'm not I mistaken. think it was called Raven. Yeah. And um, – yeah. That's right, it was. And so yeah. there's been a lot in just in today's, and Mystery Writers of America bring him up. So what, what do you think is it about his work that draws people in so much to talk about these conspiracy things and, and to interpret his work in so many different ways, like we've seen in the movies and the TV shows? Right. Well, I mean, he is, uh, Poe was a tragic figure. I mean, he was more tragic than even the characters he wrote about. And what he, and what he wrote about was a way to kind of deal with, uh, in a cathartic way, deal with the heaviness of, of his whole life. You start thinking about it, you know, um, he was uh, abandoned by his uh, his parents, he got fostered by a couple who never really uh, took his t- uh, never really fully adopted him. But every woman he ever knew or loved died. Uh, I, mostly from tuberculosis, which was you know most women died either of tuberculosis or childbirth, childbirth at the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, his, it, he was, he, he flirted with fame, but never as a poet, never made more than a hundred bucks ever, um, for any of his work. And, you know, so he was, he was a tragic figure. And I think the more you learn about 
Poe, the person, the more you kind of go, wow, this guy is exercising some demons in his, uh, in his writing. And you kind of just go down the rabbit hole, you know. But the reality is some of the stuff that he thought about was, uh, I, I mean, it was just so for the time cutting edge. I mean, there's a, a, a story called The Facts in the Case of M. Valdemar, um, which was which dealt with mesmerism, you know, hypnotism at the time uh, was what it was called, and um, and was also one of the first kind of War of the World hoaxes when it per- first was published. No one, no one believed. Everyone believed it was fact, right? Uh-huh. So you've got all of the the more you learn about Poe, uh, the more you want to learn about him. You know, fascinating yeah. guy. And then you begin to understand that that what he was writing about <clears throat> in almost every case was what he had dealt with sort of psychologically. I mean, any any one of us would probably not have been able to keep going uh, the way he did, you know, dis- despite all of his unfortunate circumstances. So, I mean, he writes from the heart. He writes about uh, truth. He writes about be- truth, beauty, love, and loss. I mean, those are pretty uh, universal uh, themes, and he just ha- handles them in a way that's just a little off kilter. That's what makes it interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely, I guess you want to say, one of the most prolific writers, of course, in American history, uh, yeah. that just from his work. And again, and I find it fascinating. He's never made more than a hundred dollars, like off of his, off of any of his stories. I mean, yeah, that name. Yeah, exactly. And that was, I think, a competition. There was a writing comp- competition for a publication, and he wrote the Gold Bug. Uh, he got a uh, hundred bucks for that. I mean, the Raven, which was his, yeah. which was a huge success for him in terms of recognition. I think. When it when I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I think he made like forty five or fifty bucks for that. The publishing you know? would be a little different today's day. <laughs> <wouldn't it? laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Well, you know, that's what he ended. That he ended up subsidizing a lot of his income by, you know, sort of in, insinuating himself in sort of this society and going to parties or bars or what have you and just reciting it. And that's mm-hmm. how he ended up making money from the poem, not from, you know, any royalties or any, any, uh, any paid for actually having written it. Yeah. Did you have a couple favorites that you, uh, that you personally like? Yes, I definitely do. Um, and in fact, I wrote the adaptation of, uh, we, we just mentioned it, the facts in the case of, uh, M. Valdemar or Monsieur Valdemar. Really cool because uh, I I read about it as a, you know I, I that it was sort of the first hoax uh, like War of the World style hoax he did nothing to uh, to uh, disabuse people of that idea but it was really fascinating just the idea of like what would happen if you hypnotized someone just at the moment that they were going to die, what would happen? And it just was so rich with ideas for uh, producing it as an audio drama that I, I ended up writing that. And it was one of, it's been one of our most successful pieces. In fact, we won a, a, a gold selection in the 2020 Here Now Festival, which is kind of like the, the con film festival for little radio dramas. So, uh, so apparently other people liked it too. Um, and, you know, The Raven, of course, everybody says The Raven, but what I really like about it is, you know, the, when you read it, there's a lot of humor in it. 
You know, uh-huh. it's not it's not just one guy ripping his hair out over the, his lost Lenore. I mean, there's a lot of that too, but you know, it's it's more complicated than that. And he deals with issues of like you know religion and faith and 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 love, and he and he manages to get it all together in what is you know like maybe an eight minute read. We turned it into a twenty five minute audio drama. Yeah. <clears throat> now, who um. Did you did, did you guys have a team of writers that kind of came up with the dramatization of were you one of the main writers did you work with anybody yeah. else how how did those dramatizations kind of come up I am lucky to have a really great team with me so the the guy who wrote the gentleman who wrote most of the episodes is a professor at the University of East Anglia in uh in England his name is professor Richard Hand uh you guys should check him out cuz he oh. he's written the he's literally written the book about the Grand, Grand Guignol horror, but he also wrote a book about content and best practices in radio dramas. These are textbooks. And when I started kicking around the idea with him, he's like, I would love to be part of this. And he kind of, he and I kind of came up with the idea of, of the anthology where, you know, this doctor walks a, a listener from room to room in an asylum for uh, folks with mental aberrations and they each one of them is the protagonist in a particular story and then they tell their story so the idea I think was largely his and then we ter- massaged it into you know what has become now this you know as well like it's going to be probably 20 episodes before the season is over nice yeah. nice yeah, so, yeah he's mean, a really like good guy you're having a ton of fun with this this and that's and I think that's what what makes it enjoyable when you listen to it, you can kind of hear that the professionalism and that the fun that you guys are having with it, because it does shine through. I mean, it's not, it, it, you can understand that there's a very much a good labor of love in this. Oops, I'm sorry, I lost you there for a second, John. What were you saying? Oh, I'm sorry. I said, you know, you can tell by listening that this is not, this is a little bit more than just like a, a labor of love. Uh, you know, right. you guys put a lot, a lot of work into this. I mean, there's a lot of stuff right. that has to go in to make these things, you know, right. Yeah. So yeah. just so people kind of have the understanding, because they're hearing 20 minutes, but how many right. hours goes into one oh, of these dramas? Well, from the time that the script is – let's not even include the writing of the script, which can take, you know – Oh, that can take months. A, a, yeah. we, well, a good solid week at least of just, you know, focusing on nothing other than that. Then we get to the rehearsal, casting, rehearsals, recording, production, post-production. Each episode uh, probably is in about 25 to 30 hours for one 20 to 25 minute episode because we do go as you said you know we we are pretty meticulous about we what we do and we work with you know classically trained shakespearean actors who really know what they're doing with their voices and we i've worked with a i'm working with a producer who's you know, he's it doesn't sound as significant for folks in california but he's in the maryland hall of music hall of fame you know so this guy knows what he's talking about we work hard to create a soundscape that really supports the the music and do what we can to create basically like movies for your ears you know mm-hmm. nice nice so now do you get the city kind of involved uh you know is any is there any kind of thing that the city does uh to, to kind of help you out and kind of get the word out? 
Well, most of the most of the promotion is uh, being done through the National Public Radio affiliate. Okay. Um, the, as far as the city is concerned, we've you know it's more of us in um, kind of making our making them aware of what we're doing. So, in fact, I just had a meeting just last week with uh, someone from my local. Uh, city councilman's uh, office. I've spoken to one of the, the state senators about what we're doing, and you know, so they're kind of they're aware, and we're just trying to find ways where we can work together to get to the next level. And some of that might be, you know, we're working on an educational initiative that kind of combines what we're doing with radio dramas and uh, literacy in English using the Poe stories and our radio dramas as a way for people to, you know, become uh, better versed in the language. So we're hoping that that all of those all of those connecting points are going to intersect and that we'll be able to do something with the government that will allow us to come into the schools and get, give people a better understanding of Poe while listening to our radio drums. Yeah. Yeah, I think the first time I actually read Poe, I'm trying to remember, I believe I was a sophomore in high school. I remember it was the fall of the House of Usher, but I'm trying to yeah. remember, I think it was around a sophomore in high school when I kind of first realized you know, who he was. I think I'd heard the name before, but I had never really known the work. Is that about right. the time, you know, when I think, you know, most people kind of find out about him, high school, maybe college? Well, I mean, yeah, they get an appreciation for it around that time. But I remember uh, even about, oh, maybe 10 years ago or so, um, uh, I came across the uh, the summer required reading list for high school students, and there were a couple of different Poe pieces on it. So, yeah, I'd say that, yeah. Because it's really well, you know, you've read a bunch of it, so you, I mean, it's really yeah. dense. Well, then the problem so is that like he's a, not like an Agatha Christie, where you got like seventy-five books that you know that are always kind of printed it out there. That's why it's yeah. different. You got to kind of find that, you know, the Edgar Allan Poe stories, and you got to kind of find someone who's reprinted them and put them out and put them in like a one book thing. So it's and not, he's and and the writing is dense. I mean, you know, a middle a middle schooler would be challenged to get through like a Fall of the House of Usher, or you know, even some of the, even some of his uh, shorter uh, stories like um, Shadow or uh, Mask of the Red Death. I mean, those are that the language is oh, dense. Mask of the Red Death. That's right. Oh, see, there's so many you just forget. It's kind of like. Right. I was just doing an Alice Cooper thing, and I didn't realize he had 27 albums, and I was trying to put together like a top 20 song list of his. And there's so many songs, and you just forget, and you're like, oh, my God, well, what about that one? And you're like, well, which one do you leave yeah. off the list? And you just yeah. say these names, and you just forget about them. Right. You know, well, you the, know, the we Pendulum, were... I think, was, you know, that's always Yeah, of course, absolutely, yeah. I mean, there's, there are so many. And you were talking, we were talking a little bit about um, sort of what makes him popular, and, and his, his influence extends not just in literature and, and uh, filmmaking, but in music. I don't know if you... Whoa, you know, I at the Alan Parsons project put out I an love album. Him. Yeah, well they put the put out an album called uh, I think it was called Tales in the Street and Imagination which is basically you know a uh, concept album where they took all of the big the best known stories and then just sort of wove them together into a big, you know, uh, album length listening experience. And they even played the played them played it live in concerts a few times. So, yeah, I mean you you turn up these influences, you know, periodically where you're like yeah, he's there's so many people listen to Poe or, or are influenced in Poe by Poe 
that they're trying to find an outlet to express their appreciation, and it doesn't just have to be literature. Yeah. The, I mean, the creative arts is, is many different things. It is. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So where's the best place for everyone to find out more information about what you got going on? Right. Well, um, there are a couple of different places. They can visit our website, which is poetheater.org, um, uh, or they can just Google uh, Poe and NPR, and that will take you to the platform on NPR's site where all of our episodes are run. And pretty soon, if you're a member, of, if you uh, are a researcher with the Library of Congress, you can even go there because we were just told about 10 days ago or so that our um, our complete collection is going to be archived by the Library of Congress for its cultural and historical importance. So pretty nice. Cool. So did, yeah. did, you have to, did you have to say anything, or did someone just find you? And then, well, I guess you're on National Public Radio, so, I mean, it's kind yeah. of fun to government money, maybe. Well, I mean, yeah, they just, they, they have this, the, the, the Library of Congress now has this new initiative called the Podcast Preservation Project. And through that, you know, they came to us and said, yes, this is exactly what we're looking for. And we said, and go for it, you know. And that's what's that's so that's what's happened. We've we put out a press release a little while ago, but yeah, it's it's a really great, it's an unusual opportunity for for a company that's really comparatively speaking as young as we are, because we've only been doing it for a little less than two years, to get the attention of you know the li- the, the Library of Congress. So we're very yeah. grateful for that. Yeah. Well, Alex, I want to tell you, this has been a fascinating conversation. I want to thank you so much for coming on and giving us a little taste about how the hard work sounds like about, you know, the three to 600 hours that you've already put into this project yeah. and more coming. And, it's, and it sounds fascinating, and I, and I want everyone to go out there and, you know, hey, there's, there's a lot of crap that we could all listen to right now that we shouldn't <laughs> be. So let's listen to some good stuff. Let's yeah. put some on. Think- yeah. I think you'll. I think your your uh, fans would like it because suspense is what we're after, you know. So exactly. a couple of the episodes are exactly, you know, right in your sweet spot. And again, all the authors who pretty much listen to us all want to win an Edgar Award. <laughs> you know, yeah. his, his, he's going to be synonymous for forever. I mean, his his name will be around like Shakespeare, and 500 years from now, people will still be talking about Edgar Allan Poe and his. You know, the, like you said, the cultural effect that he had on so many people, your podcast. I mean, it's so I think it's great to see all this uh, preservation of not only his work, but of all the hard work you're doing, too. So thank you again so much for coming on, and I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you for having me, John. I uh, hope to talk to you again sometime soon. Absolutely, man. Enjoy yourself, and again, have a good night. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye-bye.